It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. All born-again believers in the New Covenant are referred to prophetically in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 9, as inheritors of God's mountains. Think of that. What a powerful title for the people of God. Let me quote the main scripture to you. Isaiah 65, verse 9, in the modern English version says, God speaking, I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and my chosen ones shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Let me quote it again. God saying, I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains and my chosen ones shall inherit it and my servants shall dwell there. There's a lot to unravel in this mysterious, intriguing, prophetic statement. First of all, why did God single out the tribe of Judah as the tribe that would bring forth this group of people who would be inheritors of God's mountains? Because Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Remember, he's referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so because he was of that particular tribe in Israel, and you and I are connected to Jesus, Yeshua, in a covenant relationship, spiritually speaking, we are the offspring of the tribe of Judah as well. And incidentally, the word Judah means praise. So if anybody anywhere should be praising God, it's the people who have this inheritance. Then he also said in the latter part of the verse that his chosen ones would receive this inheritance and his servants would dwell there. So there's two requirements. You have to be chosen by God. And Jesus did say, you've not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And you have to have a servant's heart, a servant to God and a servant to others. And then you can qualify to inherit the revelation of what these mountains represent. Now, a mountain is a high place geographically where it builds up to a peak. And so I believe symbolically and metaphorically, it represents the high places in the history of humanity, the peak experiences where heaven came down to earth and earthly inhabitants were lifted up into a divine revelation of a plan or a purpose of God that changed them dramatically and changed the world dramatically because of the portion of the redemptive plan revealed on that mountain peak. Let me give you some good foundational scriptures first before I identify those mountains. First of all, Psalm 87 verse 1 says that his foundation is in the holy mountains. And so once you see a panoramic view of all these mountains that are holy mountains, 
What does the word holy mean? Sacred, set apart unto God, cleansed from defilement. And so holy mountains are sacred mountains where sacred events took place that held tremendous insight into God's purposes and plans for man. And God's foundation is in the holy mountains, according to Psalm 87.1. So God is building a spiritual foundation for his people through the revelation of what took place on these mountain tops. Think of that. Next, and I love this scripture, Isaiah 49, verse 11. God is speaking, and I will make all my mountains away and my highways shall be exalted. So can you imagine a highway built on mountain peaks that just moves from one mountain to the next with these big bridges in between? How amazing such a structure would be. And yet, spiritually speaking, that's what God is describing. He said, I will make all my mountains away. So it's a singular way, a singular path comprised of all these different mountains that qualify as holy mountains, sacred mountains, and they become a highway leading from time to eternity from earth to heaven. And you and I are on that highway. Thank God if we are in a covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just going to name eight holy mountains. I'm sure there's probably more, but these are the primary ones. And then I'll elaborate on them one by one a little later in the podcast. Number one is Mount Ararat. Number two is Mount Moriah. Number three is Mount Sinai. Number four is Mount Nebo. Number five is Mount Gerizim. Number six is the mountain called Golgotha. Some call it Mount Calvary, but the more biblical term is Golgotha. Number seven is Olivet, the Mount of Olives. And number eight is Mount Zion. Praise God. There's a lot of revelation here. I hope we can get to the meat of it on just this one podcast. Those are eight of God's holy mountains. Before I go into the revelation of those mountains, so let me tell you a biblical story that I love. It's a story where Caleb is recounting to Joshua a promise that he received from Moses when they first came up to the promised land. And if you remember, Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that came back with a positive report and said, let us go up at once and occupy the land. Let us possess the land. We are well able to do it. The other 10 spies came back with unbelief and fear. And consequently, the children of Israel had to wander 40 years in the wilderness, not seizing their inheritance. So don't you dare follow that pattern And because of unbelief or fear, you fail to seize your inheritance. If you have inherited these eight holy mountains and what they represent, go after it. Go after it with passion. Go after it with faith. And go after it with courage, with fearlessness. But anyway, here Caleb is talking to Joshua. And he reminds Joshua what Moses said to him 45 years prior that surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, entirely, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, 
Caleb says, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Thank God he's kept me alive. Many of my friends have passed on to the next world and finished their fight of faith, but thank God I'm still here to lift up the banner, and so are you. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, Caleb said. These 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, now here am I this day, 85 years old. And I love this next part. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me into the promised land he was referring to. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. That was one wiry prophetic man, wasn't it? God make me that energetic and strong when I'm 85. And then here's the key statement. Here's the powerful statement. He says to Joshua, who's now in command of Israel, Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. And the Bible went on to describe how he went in and routed the giants who lived in that mountain and claimed it as his inheritance. So you might have to face off with some giants too to claim your inheritance, but have Caleb's wiry attitude. Give me this mountain. If God said I could have it, then I can have it. All right, let's go back to the list of the sacred mountains that you have inherited if you have a servant's heart and if you are chosen of God and if you are linked to the tribe of Judah through your covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Isaiah 65 verse 9 refers to you. Number one, the first holy mountain, I believe, is Mount Ararat. That's where the ark came to rest after the flood waters abated in the days of Noah. Now, what is so special about that mountain? Number one, it is where God first revealed the rainbow, which was a symbol of his covenant commitment and his promise to Noah and to his seed. The rainbow is a biblical symbolic image that belongs to the people of God, and it still represents the promises of God to those who are separated from the world and committed to him. Also, it was on Mount Ararat where you first find covenant language. That's where God spoke to Noah that he had made a covenant with him and with his sons and their wives with the animals that were with him in the ark, and God gave certain covenant promises. So to possess Mount Ararat is to possess a covenant relationship with God and to have a rainbow of promise over your life that the floodwaters that try to drown all the inhabitants of this earth will not affect you. You will survive. There will be an ark of rest and an ark of safety that will keep you secure. I don't know about you, but I'm lifting my hand and saying, God, give me this mountain. I want Mount Ararat. I want a covenant relationship with God. That's a binding agreement between you and God. God shares your burdens and your hopes and dreams and your visions, and you share God's burdens and hopes and dreams and visions for the future. It's a uniting of your spirit with God's spirit. And that's what Ararat represents. Give me this mountain. Number two is Moriah. 
And Moriah is the mountain that God led Abraham to, to offer up Isaac, his son. And it would be a prophetic picture of God himself offering up his only begotten son many years later. But right at the critical moment, of course, God does that quite often. He waits till the last second. He's done it for me. But right at the critical moment, when Abraham's hand was raised and the knife was poised, God spoke from heaven. The angel of the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, Do not lay your hand upon your son, for now I know that you fear God, and in blessing I will bless you. In multiplying I will multiply you like the sand by the seashore, like the stars in the heavens. And so Mount Moriah was a place where substitution took place, where Abraham saw a tremendous pictorial representation of what God intended to do later on. Just like there was a ram caught in the thicket or in the bushes that Abraham used and substituted for Isaac, his son, so also later on there would be a substitute in death for you and I. We, like Isaac, no wonder his name means laughter, escape death, the death we deserve. We should die because of our sins. The soul that sins, it shall die. We should die physically, spiritually, and eternally. But Jesus took our place in death. And that's what Moriah speaks of primarily. And also, it was the mountain on which later on the Temple of Solomon was built. And in like manner, and of course, this is all layers of symbolism, if you and I discover Yeshua, Jesus, the substitute in death, and he takes our place and we go free and the joy of the Lord is our inheritance as a result because our sins are gone, then God can build in us his temple, the dwelling place for his glory. Number three is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, of course, was the mountain that was consumed with holy fire. Can you imagine being among that crowd of Israelites, probably over a million people, and the ground under you is rumbling with an earthquake, and the mountain is shaking, and rock slides on either side of the mountain, and big black billowing clouds roll in and blot out the light of the sun, and God's thunderclap voice goes forth, as he gives the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven images. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Those Ten Commandments, like arrows, pierce the hearts of the children of Israel, and so terror-stricken they were that they could not live up to such demands that they fled from the mountain and cried aloud to Moses and said, you talk with us, but let not God talk to us or we'll die. Well, there was a lot of truth in that statement because if you ever really hear the word of the Lord, one part of you or the other will die. Either you will die to the flesh and its carnality and come alive to the will of God, or you will die 
to the influence of God in your life and come alive to the possession of carnal base attitudes that will drive you into a state of misery. One part of you or the other has to die when you hear the commandments of God. You may say, we're in the new covenant and it's not about commandments anymore. Well, I understand the emphasis of grace in the new covenant and how we have greater access to forgiveness and restoration through the cross. However, it hasn't decreased, it has increased. In the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, there are 613 commandments, 365 negative, 248 positive commandments. But in the New Testament, there are 1,050 commandments. So again, let me emphasize, it has not decreased, it has increased. And if you'll email me at pastormikeshreve at gmail.com, I will send you the whole list of 1,050 commandments. But may I warn you, with knowledge comes responsibility. So if you read the whole list, you've got to live up to it to the best of your ability. You'd be surprised how few emails I get. But I know many of you want that information. So send me an email, pastormikeshreve at gmail.com. I'll send you the list. Well, how does... Sinai relate to a mountain that we've inherited because on Mount Sinai, God with his fiery finger wrote into tablets of stone the commandments that Moses then bore to the children of Israel. But that same fiery finger that burned laws into stone on top of that mountain has burned his law and love for his law in your hearts. Because according to Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, that describes the new covenant, God said, first, I will write my law in their hearts and in their minds. So when I say, God, give me Mount Sinai, I'm saying I want the law to be so much a part of me that I automatically want to fulfill those commandments. It's not some high bar I'm striving to achieve by my own human willpower, but it's a transformation on the inside where I automatically love what God loves and hate what God hates. You ought to lift your hand right now concerning Mount Moriah and Mount Sinai and say, God, give us that mountain. Give us Mount Moriah where we discover our substitute in death. Give us Mount Sinai where you write the law in our hearts. Number four is Mount Nebo. And Mount Nebo was the mountain from which Moses viewed the promised land. He didn't get to go into the promised land physically, but he got to get a glimpse of it from the other side. And I want that mountain because I want God to give me a glimpse of heaven. I really would love to have a vision, a fresh vision where I experience the glory of the celestial world. But if I don't ever have another vision of that heavenly world, I want to be there eternally once I receive a glorified body dwelling on earth and also visiting heaven. So would you lift your voice and say, God, give me Mount Nebo. Let me have a foretaste. Let me see in the word of God or have a spiritual encounter where I get a glimpse of the promised land to come. And of course, the promised land can represent your purpose. 
your individual purpose in this world. And I believe that's really a more fitting symbol for the promised land because there's no giants to conquer in heaven. There's no warfare to fight in heaven, but there's a lot of warfare and many giants to face if you're going to get the promised land of your individual rhema word promises concerning your destiny, your purpose in this world fulfilled. So I'm saying, God, give me my purpose when I say, give me Mount Nebo. Let me have a glimpse of my purpose and then let me go after it and experience it in Jesus' name. Number five is Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim is the mountain where half the tribes of Israel, and they were primarily the offspring of free women, stood on its slopes and shouted, amen, to the blessings of the law. And you can find them enumerated in Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 13, that culminated in the statement, I will make you the head and not the tail. He said, these blessings will overtake you, and you will be above only, and you shall not be beneath. And one by one, the priests in the valley below declared the blessings, and the people on Mount Ebal all the offspring of slave women, probably over 500,000 people on those slopes shouted amen to the curses and the people on Mount Gerizim shouted amen to the blessings. And so if I say, God, give me this mountain, Mount Gerizim, in fact, the Samaritans counted Mount Gerizim an extremely sacred mountain. They felt that was where worship had to take place. And of course, that was what the conversation with the woman at the well was all about. That was the mountain she referred to when she conversed with Jesus. But when we say it, we're referring to not just that physical mount of blessing, but what it represents. And there are thousands of declarations of blessings in the scripture where God said he would bless us in specific ways. Over in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Somebody shout, give me this mountain. That's what's represented by Gerizim. And that certainly is part of our inheritance. Next is Golgotha. Golgotha, of course, is Mount Calvary. And Mount Calvary is the mountain where Jesus became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He bore the sin debt of the whole human race so that that burden could be lifted from us and you can go completely free. What an amazing thing. No religion of this world can grant you that inheritance nor give you that kind of pledge that your sins can be wiped out of existence because of what Jesus did on Mount Calvary, on Golgotha. And the word Golgotha means the place of a skull because the mountain is actually in the shape of a human skull. And there are two caves right where there should be eye sockets in a skull. It's a very peculiar looking mountain. And some conjecture, I've heard it said, that Adam was buried there. And if that be true, then when Jesus died on Golgotha, his blood ran down the cross and soaked into the dust that may well have contained the dust of the remains of Adam's body. If that were true, 
how symbolically powerful that would be. Well, of course, I'm sure every one of you with the vision of the crucified Savior in your mind and heart is more than passionately desirous to lift your hand and say, give me this mountain. If he lifted his hands for six hours of agony on that mountain, I'm going to lift my hands for a few moments of ecstasy, thanking him for delivering me from the curse of sin, the curse of separation from God, the curse of satanic control, the curse of death, the curse of hell. He took all of those curses and stripped them of their authority and power over us when he hung on the cross. No wonder we should be emotional in our response to him. Next is Mount Olivet. And the Mount of Olives, I reserve for this point for a reason. Because see, when Jesus ascended to heaven 40 days after the resurrection and promised the return of the Holy Spirit 10 days later, he also allowed the angelic beings that were there to say, this same Jesus you see go away shall come again in like manner, even as you see him go, not only in the same way, but to the same place. Because if you'll read Zechariah's prophecies, chapter 12, 13, and 14, are very specific about things that will happen in the last days. And in those chapters, you'll find this statement that God will pour out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on him whom they pierced, and his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives in that day. When he descends from heaven, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And the prophet Zechariah said that mountain will split in two. And then he'll walk across the valley right through the eastern gate into the Temple Mount area and set up his enthroned status as the Messiah in this world. And the kingdom of God will come to this world and there'll be no more war, no more violence, no more abuse and bloodshed, no more evil and wickedness. What a day when that day will come. Give me that mountain. I want to possess that mountain because I want to be one of the redeemed when the redeemer comes to redeem this planet unto himself. Finally, Mount Zion. Mount Zion is very close to the Mount of Olives. It's also on the southeast side of Jerusalem. And Mount Zion was where David set up his tabernacle. A lot can be said about Mount Zion, and I actually have other podcasts. I'll put a link to a specific podcast where I taught on what it is to be children of Zion in the information on cpnshows.com. But Zion means fortress, and it was the last place to be conquered in the land promised to Abraham that was secured by the children of Israel. David was the one who did it. It was the stronghold of the Jebusites, and then he set up his capital city there. He put his throne on Mount Zion, and he put a tent for the ark on Mount Zion. So it was the place of the throne of the king and the glory of God that was in that tent. And there's a powerful revelation about Mount Zion. But the thing I want to emphasize is it was a fortress. That was the one place where God dwelt in the entire world at that time, on Mount Zion. And it was a fortress of peace in a world full of strife, a fortress of faith in a world full of unbelief, 
a fortress of hope in a world full of despair and a fortress of life in a world full of death. And so to possess Mount Zion in a historical way was to possess revelation into who God is and a connection with God as king of your life. Now, translate that into the future because one day Jesus will reign from Mount Zion again and from the mount that is right near it. He'll come back to the Mount of Olives and then he'll reign on Mount Zion. And praise God, there's a psalm that deals with that. Bless the Lord. I want to quote that psalm. as Psalm 48, verses 1 and 2. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. So one day, Psalm 48, verses 1 and 2, will be fulfilled in a maximum way where Jesus Christ will send out his glory around the world. And the Bible said, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Can you imagine what that coming world will be like? Well, you need to go ahead and claim it as part of your inheritance. So why don't you lift your voice and say, God, give me this mountain. I want to be one of those that visit Mount Zion when you occupy it as the king enthroned in all of his glory. Praise God. Well, that's part of the revelation of Mount Zion, but you should go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. And it talks about how we have not come to Mount Sinai, but we've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God and an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. There's a lot of rich revelation there in that Hebrews passage. Again, it's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. And I urge you to read that and it will cap off the revelation of this podcast. You and I are inheritors of God's mountains. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.